Hello again. You got me again. It's meant to be Charles this week, but long story. You got me again. Sorry about that. No, don't be sorry. It's a good thing. Hey, we are in our longing series. Particularly welcome to you if you're online as well, checking us out, or this is your first time uh, with us. Uh, last week we looked at the topic longing for more. And if you missed it, you should go back and check out the YouTube of it. It's on the YouTube. It's on our website. The preacher last week, he was great. You should definitely check it out. This week, we're looking at the, the topic, longing for love. And now, in, in a sense, this is the easy talk. This is the easy talk because I don't need to convince anyone uh, that you have a longing for love. Because we all do, don't we? We all long for love. We long to be accepted and loved, to be in relationships of love where we can give and we can receive love. Uh, It goes right to the heart of what it means to be a human, doesn't it? Love. Uh, We all have deep longings for love. But it's also been a really difficult talk uh, to write this week, I found, because Love is one of those things that's actually extremely difficult to pin down, to to, to define. And so I'm going to get you guys to do some of the hard work. This series, uh, we're making it a little bit more interactive, and so I'm going to have a few times throughout the talk today where I'm going to hand it over to you to discuss with the person next to you. And so don't do it in big groups, just do it with one or two people. But I'm going to give you two minutes. Here's the question uh, I want you guys to ask each other is, What is your definition of love? And then, how do you know that's what love is? Two minutes should be enough to figure that out. And you can't just say a cliche like love is a verb. That's banned. (laughs) Two minutes, go for it. Okay, bring it back. 
Here's some uh, fun facts about love that I've discovered during the week. Falling in love has the same effect on the body as taking cocaine. (laughs) Hopefully no one can attest to that. Uh, Heartbreak is a real medical condition. It's actually called broken heart syndrome, and it's often misdiagnosed as a heart attack. Uh, Studies have shown that the intense emotional distress that we can have from breakups or divorce or from losing a loved one releases chemicals that actually weaken our hearts. There you go. So this makes sense of this next one. Uh, Being in loving relationships can reduce our risk of early death by up to 50%. And in the year 2012, the most Googled question in the whole world was what is love? And in fact, every year, the, the question, what is love, is the most, one of the most popular Google searches. And so that is the big question, isn't it? What is love? Now, it's been described as uh, the supreme emotion. We sing about it. We, we uh, create art about it. We write poetry. We make movies and plays. We speak about falling in love. We say to people we love them. There's different types of love. There's uh, love uh, for a family or love for friends or or love for a spouse or love for others or maybe even self-love. We say things like love is love or that in the end love will win. Have you noticed on a lot of bus stops around this area at the moment, there's big signs that say in the end love will win. After all, all you need is love. (laughs) It's not just Tim that can sing around here. Although he can sing a lot better than me, I admit that. Uh, So what is it? What is love? Is it it just a feeling? Or is it more than that? And where does it come from? Uh, You can love people. You can love animals. You can love things. In the famous words of Brick from the immortal movie Anchorman, anyone know the quote? I love lamp. lamp. (laughs) Indeed. You're starting to see it's a big question, isn't it? And so what is love? Well, Uh, Last week, we spoke about how for most of human history, humans have seen the world as being made up of two frames, two realms. You have the the imminent frame, the the natural material world, the the here and the now, the things that we can see and the touch. Uh, And then you also have the the transcendent frame, uh, the the spiritual world, uh, the things that transcend the here and the now. And, And so I think there's two ways... Uh, that we could try to understand love. Uh, The first would be a a naturalistic understanding of it, uh, where we have gotten rid of the transcendent. And so in a naturalistic understanding of the universe, uh, there is nothing supernatural, uh, nothing transcendent, nothing outside of the here and the now of the natural world. And so that's all there is, the, the here and the now, the natural world. Well, we need to be able to define love uh, in those parameters. And so it must be explainable in terms of of matter and energy and measured scientifically. And so if there is no God, then everything is just the product of blind evolutionary forces. Then the experiences that we all feel of love uh, may feel significant to us, but in in the end, they are just biochemical reactions happening in our brains. And so, for example, the atheist Russell Glasser, who co-hosts the TV show The Atheist Experience, says this. He says, the feelings that you feel related to love are exactly no more or no less than what love is. Do you see what he says love is? 
It's just the feeling that you have from the chemical reactions that are in your brain. That's it. That's all that love is. But my question is, is that all that love is? It's not very romantic, is it? Imagine uh, you know, saying to your spouse on your wedding day, I, Matt, take you, Shell, to have chemical reactions in my brain and to cherish you until I stop having those feelings. Can the love that we've experienced in our lives, the love that we have shown to others, the love that we've, the love that we've received from others, can all it be is just chemical reactions? Or is there something more to it? Moreover, if all it is is a feeling, chemical reactions, then it's no longer about others. It becomes about yourself, doesn't it? Love becomes a feeling that I feel. Uh, it's about me and my feelings, which, interestingly, fits really nicely into the individualistic culture that we're a part of. Remember last week we talked about expressive individualism. Uh, the dominant worldview in our culture right now is this expressive individualism. This is the definition I, I gave you last week of it. It's every relationship or obligation, personal, relational, religious or communal, is merely and only an enhancement of the primary commitment to personal flourishing. And so instead of love being other person-centred, any relationships that we have and any love that we feel, they're there for the purpose of our own personal flourishing, of self-exploration and, and self-discovery and self-fulfillment. And so when those feelings fade, well, then it's time to move on to a new relationship. Let me give you an example of this uh, in the singer-songwriter Adele. Now, a few years ago, 2009, uh, she divorced her husband. And as she spoke about this experience with, uh, you know, in interviews and articles, she, she was clear that there wasn't something uh, wrong with her husband. He was, a, he was a good husband. They'd had a good marriage and uh, there, was, there was nothing that had happened in the marriage. They hadn't hurt each other in any way. But at the end of the day, she left the marriage because she just wasn't feeling in love anymore. And speaking of the impact of the divorce that, it ha that, that it had on her nine-year-old son, Angelo, this is what she said. She said, if I can reach the reason why I left, which was the pursuit of my own happiness. See that? The expressive individualism. Even though it made Angelo really unhappy, if I can find that happiness and he sees me in that happiness, then maybe... I'll be able to forgive myself for it. Do you see what she's saying? Her, her primary pursuit was her own happiness. And divorcing her husband, even though that made her son Angelo really unhappy, well, if it meant that she could be happy, well, then maybe she can forgive herself for that. Do you see how this way of thinking about love and about relationships puts the primary focus of it on yourself? It's shifted from other to self, from other people's happiness to my happiness, to my own flourishing, even if that comes at the expense of others. Now, does that sound like love? Now, expressive individualism has taken hold in our culture in recent years. It, it's the tide that we're all swimming in, whether we, we realise that or not. And it's easy to get caught up in it, just floating along in it without even realising it. 
What's been interesting that as we're in a culture like ours, what has happened in recent years is, is there's been an explosion in self-help books about love. But instead of it being about how we could love others, the self-help books have been about how to love yourself. Have you noticed that? Maybe you've even bought some of them. Here's three popular titles. First one's called Radical Self-Love, which promises, if you read the back page, to help you madly fall in love with yourself. Or there's How to Love Yourself. Or this one, it's a bestseller, over a million copies sold worldwide. It's called Good Vibes, Good Life, How Self-Love is the Key to Unlocking Your Greatness. Now, don't go out and buy any of these. But all of this reminded me of an episode of Seinfeld, my favourite TV show, where Jerry falls in love. Now, what's with you? They come in love. Oh, come on. No, it's true. This woman saved my life. I was crossing the street. I was almost hit by a car. And then we talked, and the whole thing just seemed like a dream. If a guy saved your life, you'd be in love with him, too. No, this woman is different. She's incredible. She's just like me. She talks like me. She acts like me. She even orders cereal in a restaurant. We even have the same initials. Wait a minute. I just realized what's going on. What? Now I know what I've been looking for all these years. Myself. <laughs> I've been waiting for me to come along. And now I've swept myself off my feet. Will you stop it, man? You're freaking me out! <laughs> uh, Seinfeld, there's an episode for every situation in life. Uh, now, all of these books uh, are about the idea that in order to love others, you first need to love yourself. Have you heard of that concept before? Uh, it's become pretty big in our culture and sadly even within the church as a whole. Now, maybe that's because really uh, it's come from the biblical commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't want to say that there's no truth to this idea. So for example, if you're caught up in negative body image uh, and you have deep insecurities within yourself, uh, then you are going to find it hard to love others because you're going to be so wrapped up in your own thoughts. But I also want to suggest that that's not actually what the Bible is saying here when it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's not saying you have to love yourself before you can love others. What it's saying is that, well, you are to love others in the same way you already love yourself. Notice the assumption in there. The assumption is you already love yourself and so love others in that same way. Love others with the same passion you have for yourself. Do you see the difference? They're, they're radically different understandings. The first one is inward, focused on self whereas the other one is outward, focused on others. Now, there's much more that could be said about all of this, but for now, here's another question for you guys to discuss. question is, is there more to love than chemicals and self-love? Why? Why not? I'll give you another two minutes.
Radio. Nine o'clock. You guys are so obedient. I like it. Eleven o'clock's a different story. Hey, here's my hunch. My hunch is that I suspect that all of us think there's more to love than this. Here's how C.S. Lewis uh, puts it. It's a long quote. Stay with me. It'll go over three pages. He says this. He says, you can't, except in the lowest animal sense, be in love with a girl if you know that all the beauties both of her person and of her character are a momentary and accidental pattern produced by the collision of atoms and that your own response to them is only a sort of psychic phosphorescence arising from the behaviour of your genes. You can't go on getting any very serious pleasure from music if you know and remember that its air of significance is pure illusion. That you like it only because your nervous system is irrationally conditioned to like it. You may still, in the lowest sense, have a good time, but just in so far as it becomes very good, just in so far as it ever threatens to push you on from cold sensuality into real warmth and enthusiasm and joy, so you will be forced to feel the hopeless disharmony between your own emotions and the universe in which you really live. In other words, things like love and beauty and music force us to have a sense that there's more to them than just feelings and chemicals. Love is something more than that. It's not just something you feel for yourself. It's, it's something you give to other people. It's deeply personal. Uh, it's giving of yourself to another. And so there must be a subject and an object of love. And so Richard of St. Victor in the 12th century, long time ago, he says it this way, he says, no one, uh, one never says that someone properly possesses love if he only loves himself. For it to be true love, it must go out towards another. Consequently, where a plurality of persons is lacking, it is impossible for there to be love. And so we're back to the start, aren't we? And to the question, well, what is love? I think there's a second way to understand what love is. And it's to look for it beyond ourselves and beyond this natural world and to ascend up to the transcendent frame, to, to look to God. And what I want to suggest is that the Christian worldview actually gives us the best explanation of what love is and why we all have a deep longing for it. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's because Christianity defines what love is for us and then shows us what this love looks like. So let's start with the question, well, what is love? Uh, and what the, the biblical definition of love is. And so to do that, what I want to do is to take you to one of the letters of the Apostle John. Uh, he wrote this to a group of believers in the first century. And John has been described as the Apostle of love. He wrote about love so much throughout his books and his letters. And so in 1 John chapter 4, this is what he says, starting from verse 7. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so what's the biblical definition of love? Well, it's that God is love. At the very core of who God is, is love. That if you want to know what love looks like, then look up, look at God. But the question is, well, how is God love? Well, it says it's because love comes from God, that out of his very nature and essence flows love. And so the question is, well, how is that the case? Well, it's not the case that in order for God uh, to love, uh, he needed to create something to show that love to, as if there was something lacking in him that he he needed uh, to then make us so that he could show love. That's not the case. C.S. Lewis points out, he says, all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love, but they seem not to notice that the words God is love has no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God is a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. But the uniqueness of the God of the Bible and the uniqueness of Christianity from every other religion is that God has always existed in the relationship of the Trinity who for eternity have always existed together before the creation, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in perfect, loving, other-person-centered, self-giving love. Now you get a glimpse of this uh, as Jesus prays to his Father in John 17. John 17, 24 As he's praying to his father, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the the creation of the world. There you go. (laughs) Now, if this is true, what a time, what timing, that was good. If this is true, that God has always existed in loving relationship within the persons of the Trinity, then this means there is nothing older in the universe than love, nothing more central to life itself than love. And I want to suggest that maybe, just maybe, that this gives us a clue as to what life and love are really about that we all have this deep longing for this thing called love, and maybe it's because we have been created by the God who is love. And so Tim Keller says it this way. He says, The world was not created by a God who is only an independent nor an impersonal force. We believe the world was made by a God who is a community of persons who have loved each other for all eternity. You were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. We were made for that. We were made for love. The Christian worldview goes right to to the heart of, of what love is, and it gives such explanatory power to it that it's not an accident of evolution, but it's built into who we are in our relationship to the God who made us. Now, That's a lot to take in. So let's pause again just for a moment with the person next to you. Take another couple of minutes 
reflect on this statement that God is love. Here's the question. How does the statement God is love help you to understand both God and love? Go for it. back again okay so what is love well according to the bible god is love but the question is well what does this love look like well god has shown us and that's where john goes next and so from verse 9 john says this is how god showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us how? And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God has shown us what his love looks like in the giving of his one and only son. But you notice he doesn't send his son when we loved God. In fact, we didn't love God. We loved the things that he had made rather than God himself. That's what the Bible calls sin. But in spite of that, he, that is God, loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In Jesus, he willingly gave himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, atonement means at one meant, to make two things that have been separated back together into relationship. And so the love of God as shown in the sacrifice of Jesus is the thing that can bring us back into that relationship with the God who made us and loves us. This is what love looks like. It's the ultimate expression of it, the self-sacrificial laying down of one's life for the sake of another. What greater love can there be than this? That's why at Anzac Day we, we remember and 
celebrate people laying down their lives for others. It's the the greatest expression of what love is, the self-sacrifice of one for another. I I grew up in a family where my parents became Christians later on in life. Uh, As I was a child, they became Christians. And so as a family, we we would go to church and my parents would read me stories from the Bible and tell me about Jesus. And I knew the stories. Uh, I knew the gospel message that God loved me and that he died for me. But I'd never, I never experienced that love. Uh, it, it was a concept to me. It was head knowledge, intellectual knowledge for me for most of my life. That was until when I was 17 and I was at a, at a camp, a Christian camp. And one night the preacher got up and he spoke about God's love for us in the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. And for the first time that night, that concept that God loved me and laid down his life for me dropped to my heart. It went from a concept to an experience that I, I knew God's love, that I felt God's love, that I experienced it in a way that I'd never had before. And so my question is, have you experienced God's love like that? Has it dropped from your head to your heart? Because it's open to all. In another one of John's writings, uh, in a verse that's become the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's open to all, anyone, whoever. And so the longing that we all have for love can only and ultimately be fulfilled in knowing the God who loves you and made you. And he's inviting all of us back into that relationship. He's done everything that needs to happen so that we can come back into that relationship. One of the ways of thinking about this, and I talk about this at at Explore, uh, one of the ways of thinking about what it means to become a Christian uh, is to be adopted into God's family of perfect love, uh, that he is inviting you to be part of his family. So here's the question I have for us all. Oh, there's a picture of it, beautiful picture. But here's the question I have, the next one for you. Have you experienced this love for yourself? And if not, what do you think is stopping you? Go for it.
Okay. Well, we're nearly done, but remember those self-help books that we looked at before that suggest that in the way you are to love others is first to love yourself. Well, the Apostle John has one last thing to say about love in this, this section of writing. And he says, the thing that's going to empower you to love others is not first to love yourself. Rather, it's that God has first loved you. So have a look at verse 11. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's in experiencing the self-giving, self-sacrificial love of God in Jesus that will actually be the thing that empowers us to go out and love others with that same sacrificial, other person-centered love. We don't need to learn how to love ourselves before we can love others. We have been so loved, and so we can therefore show that love to others. Ultimately, we all have a longing for love, a deep longing to be loved. And we have that because we were made by the God who is love. And it's only in experiencing that love in the death of Christ, the atoning sacrifice, that we can have our deep longing for love satisfied. And that will be the thing that will empower us to then love others. We all want to be loved and accepted. And the good news of the Christian gospel is that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. And so let me pray. Father, thank you that we don't have to endlessly search for love and come up with our own meaning of it, but that you have shown us what love is, that you are love. That for all eternity within the Trinity, you have shown other person-centered, self-giving love. And then in your creation, you have shown us that in your son, the one who gave himself for our sake. Lord, I pray that we would be able to experience that love for ourselves, that each person here would know that love, and then would be able to, out of an overflow of that love, love those around us. Father, we thank you for your love, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.